Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. As you may have noticed, this year we're bringing a little bit more variety to the podcast, um, and I'll have more about that in the next week or two. But today, we've got the preface, the introduction to Mark Paustian, Professor, actually Dr. Professor Mark Paustian's book, Our Worth to Him, Devotions for Christian Worship. It's a fantastic little book available from Northwestern Publishing House for $15, I think, um, and it's got... It's got 60 different devotions talking about six different aspects of Lutheran worship and why do we do what we do and what is the meaning of these things. And if you've ever read anything that Professor Pauschen has written, you know that he's really got a knack for words and for communicating well. And that kind of makes sense because he also has a doctorate in communication. Anyway, here's the introduction in the preface um, beginning on page five if you have your own copy. And if you don't have your own copy, check out today's show notes for a link. To cross the threshold of a church is to step into another world. The extravagance of Lutheran worship is a sort of culture all its own. In the Christian sanctuary, story and music, symbol and ritual knit themselves together in a rich and delicate web of meaning. The strange beauty there may be lost on the uninitiated, and yet for others, though they have been there a thousand times, it can still take their breath away. In this true world within the world, the atmosphere is thick with a haunting and exotic language. There are costly items to look at, a well-worn book, a basin of water, some bread, some wine, defining things to hold up in the light and ask, so what does this do? Oh my goodness, how much time do you have? That water shimmers with promise. That meal is to die for once you have acquired the taste. All that meets your senses in worship combines in the service of a stunning and scandalous message from far beyond and far above. The news is good, so unspeakably good, though it meets our minds in a collision with all that we would naturally think or understand. This is a wondrous space, at once distant and familiar. It wants to have you. It wants to draw you all the way in by its shifting colors and timeless ways, its weighty furnishings, its impulse for song, its scent of something more. This thing we call Lutheran worship is a word-saturated and Christ-obsessed country. Forgiveness of sins is the only sun in that sky. You and I can learn to see all things in this light. It is like nowhere else in this world, and it is all for you. I compare going to church to traveling the world, because when you dare to navigate an unfamiliar culture, there is always so much that confronts you. There is so very much to understand, and there is always the danger that you will not. I must admit that when visiting a strange culture, I have sometimes had to confront my own dullness rather than dismiss or tamper with what I did not understand. Let me offer a few examples to stand for hundreds. I've experienced the way a man may greet you in Cameroon, West Africa, as if you are somebody. And he shakes your hand. He puts his left hand under his right elbow as if needing to support the weight of such a movement. What a shame if you walked away not comprehending the honor that was just lavished on you. On the island of Antigua, there is a right way and a wrong way to enter someone's establishment. There is a way you need to greet the one who owns the place, so as not to be the obnoxious tourist who waltzes right in as if being there is yours by right. There is a warmth that you will tend to miss as you scan the public faces of Russians, a kindliness that reveals itself at the feast they set before you in the quiet hospitality of their homes. You can only guess at how long it took to prepare this meal. A smile reaches their eyes as they set it down before you. One more. 
I remember crossing the bustling streets of Oxford, always looking the wrong way as if the nearer cars would come from the left instead of the right. The point is this, how useful, good, and even safe it is to have a reliable guide at your side in an unfamiliar place. You may need someone to tell you which way to look, what things mean, when to be silent, and, if you will pardon the pun, when you may cross, not the busy street, but your busy, tired self. That is the reason for this book. I read as one who is not willing to be oblivious to such honors, such cost, such kindnesses as those that greet me in Lutheran worship. Instead, in these pages we will linger over its images a while, unpack the stories, try things on. Why? Because the kindness here is Jesus himself. I have indeed been laboring hard to see it all again as something new and strange. I have attempted to fully inhabit that world that is Lutheran worship, like an ethnographer of sorts, that is, someone who strives to penetrate a cultural space, tries to take in all that's there, and then writes it all down. I offer throughout this book what an anthropologist might call a thick description of the place. This names the attempt to open up the inward meaning of the things, to draw to the surface the blood-soaked associations, to reveal the roots, to provide the rich context, and to create deep heart connections with each particular artifact that meets you there, each movement and element, song and symbol. Let me push back the velvet curtain to reveal the bride of Christ at worship where she is, the church, is never more fully herself. Let's together go through the motions, one at a time. Each one carries an understanding within, for example, that some things are worth standing up for. We begin, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, because God himself has gathered us. God is doing this. We sing holy, holy, holy to announce the melding of worlds at his supper. Indeed, a whole worldview hides behind these motions, so to speak, such as the symbol of the cross that the pastor paints in the air. This sends us on our way under the smile of Christ. To have him means holding every string to the heart of God. I hope to endear you to your hymnal and help you see it for the treasure that it is, this eloquent capturing of centuries of Christian expression, born out of centuries of struggle. Our hymnal is a chronicle of the grace found by those who have gone before us, how they learned to pray, sing, and structure their gathering times. It is the profoundly affecting story of those who search for the face of Christ under the dear cross and the way he was found by them. There is newness in our hymnal as well, with fresh forms and contemporary melodies that give voice to the marvelous freedom we have to add our part to the ancient worship song, to the best artistic creations of every age since. And there is freedom as well to adapt with thoughtfulness and understanding what you find in your hymnal for your own particular circumstances. We may as well think of Christian worship as a true culture, for the sun literally never sets on the worshiping church. We are part of something far larger than ourselves, a worldwide phenomenon, sustained by the Spirit of Christ himself. His presence is undiluted, though it spreads to the very corners of the earth. His grace is undiminished by time. You may find that there is nothing so lovely as the eternal gospel when it wears other faces, is spoken in other accents, is sung to other tunes. That is, when the message of Jesus comes wrapped in skin tones and cultural trappings that are other than your own. You gain a fresh hearing in just that way. Wherever two or three gather in my name, he said, there am I. 
all across this seriously broken world streaked in pain, there is a stubborn joy in the Christian heart that delights in every kindred soul and finds true community as every human difference recedes. There am I, he says, when we who are estranged by sin and pride come to love one another, the fruit of how God has really loved us and the markings of the sacramental life. Jesus intervenes all over again in the affairs of poor sinners, showing up again at the proclaiming of this name, this news, in catacombs and under open sky, in stone cathedrals and school gyms with rows of folding chairs. The very thought of this happening around the globe keeps us open to the many ways the true worship of Jesus in the Spirit can sound. Hands clapping, babies shouting, a classical guitar to soften our thoughts, or the lowest registers of a pipe organ to rattle in our chests. Lutheran worship is like a culture all on its own, because, having visited that land and having breathed its cleansing air, we do inevitably come back to our own regular lives. And just like returning home from time abroad, we find that this home, this world of ours, is changed for us. We see it with new eyes. Upon leaving the Christian sanctuary, we are able to see through the countless false versions of humans thriving in this disenchanted world. We are no longer fooled by the secular illusion. We find more and more that we don't quite fit in here, not anymore. Not from around here, are you? Says this present evil age more every passing day. No, we are not. We gladly share in the disgrace of Jesus Christ, the weakness and the foolishness of God. We dress ourselves in him, and while some will love us for it, many more will hate us because they hated him first. So be it. We know what we know, and we must answer according to the grace we learn in church and with a godly social concern. We must be the ones who care what happens to people both in this world and in the next. One thing more. We come home from church and return to our regular lives with the perspective of eternity. This is no small thing. We at our best have our hearts set on things above. We look for a better country, a heavenly one. Every service has a way of putting us on our backs like children lying on a grassy lawn. We just look up. We let the great blue fill our view. We have a reason to wait and hope through all that we cannot now understand or bear, all that is light and momentary when set beside what is yet to come. All our talk of that in the sanctuary is a stammering and a stuttering no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. This is key to the blessed re-enchanting of life that begins in church. Something is going on among the twos or threes in those rare scattered moments that we do not make happen. It comes to us with a line in a hymn, at the crescendo of the choir, or as the pastor paused to regain his composure. These were the glimpses we could not hold on to, that stabbing joy that is a longing so beautiful it hurts. The smallest bit of there is breaking into here. One day we will wake up to the love behind every love we ever knew. The son will present us to his father. I have bought them just for you. The Father prizes the act as only He can prize it in His majestic heart, unthinkably vast, utterly yours. He prizes Jesus laying down of His life only to take it up again, and He will prize it forever, days without end, all those broken ones who have prized it with Him in His Spirit by pure grace. We will see Him face to face, and we will be changed by it to the bottom of our astonished souls. 
this dreadful self-absorption, this bound will, this bitter struggle against shame, this inward curve of our soul, it will all at once be shed in a twinkling and a flash. So hold on, we will enter the joy of God. How we will worship then, in a new world, under a new sky. I have learned in life to long for that day more than words can say. How did I learn this? My parents took me to church, and the habit took. Here I am, sipping on my senior coffee at McDonald's. How did that happen? An old liturgical soul, old enough at least to reminisce over decades of worshiping Christ in this way. I confess to moments of inexcusable apathy, thick yawns amidst the embarrassment of riches. At other times, I am thankful to report, I have sat in the nave of my childhood church, nearly overcome by all I received in that place, that rolling rhythm of grace on grace. Those were my King James days. It's these and thou's the language of my heart. I let my eyes scan the familiar, bottomless symbols that decorate the ceilings and the walls, and I revel in the meanings that poured in across years and years of dragging my poor half-heartedness into the sanctuary. My reminiscing inside that sacred space is dominated by the means of grace in all its happy particularities. My nervous first communion, the glad goings-on around the baptismal font, and the craning of my neck to hear my father preach. He always knew that there would be grace. As for going to church, there have been times I almost didn't, and later shuddered at what I had nearly missed. The sad thing would have been what I, not God, almost didn't get that day. By studying up close these eloquent forms and their ancient roots, I have come to better feel a continuity with Old Testament longing and with all those first-century synagogues graced by the reliable presence of Jesus. I worship at this end of the unbroken line that began in his upper room. I commune with the little brothers and sisters of the Lord, waiting on him with prayers like incense. The meditations to follow are about nothing more and nothing less than that blessed repetition of going to church. Nothing is as it seems. On any given Sunday you may find boredom here, exasperation there, and worship leaders giving less than their best. You may hear uncomfortable silences, awkward conversations, or tense whispers. There is, too often it seems, someone resenting someone, or someone who would prefer to be somewhere else. If I describe the enterprise in vaulted glorious terms, it is a special glory of grace that I have in my mind. Only the burdened conscience can know anything about it. Only those who groan in the terrible gap between who they are and who they are supposed to be can understand it. What we are on our knees before the Lord, that is what we truly are. The glory of worship has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with our incognito Savior, hiding behind his humble masks of water and word, of bread and wine, and revealing himself through them. In this world full of God, we too are his hiding place. We fretting bundles of anxiety, we the tragically flawed, yet are his temple of living stones. A city on a hill, a lamp on a stand, we are the royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. We walk to our pews as the prodigals that we are, and the family reunion begins. The one makes his appearance once wounded, once slain. Faith, the gift of God, spots him again presiding at the banquet. Beautiful with life, sweet, indestructible life, he steps from the shadows, arms open wide. What animates his face is pure, amazing grace. 
In this world of worship, Jesus is present like gravity to welcome and draw us each close. It is just as if he doesn't know who we are or what we have done, for he has washed us in pure water, and he will never cancel the promise he makes in the sacred meal, not if he is to remain himself. All the singing there and all the talk is one way or another all about him, what he has done and will yet do. It is all to you, for you, by you, and in you, Lord Christ. This attempt to grasp and explain what your people are worth to you has been my life's happiest futility. My prayer for you, dear reader, is simple. May the worship of God our Savior be for you what, has, what it has become for me as I prepared this book. May our worship never be the same. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. That, of course, by Dr. Professor uh, Reverend Mark Paustian in the devotional book, the new devotional book entitled Our Worth to Him. If you are interested, the link is in the show notes today. And um, at least here at Resurrection, we'll probably be placing a bulk order for some small group use of those. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'll feature a few more of those over the next few weeks. We can't, um, obviously can't include the entire book, but I'll include enough of a sampling so that we can contemplate what this Lutheran worship really means for you and for me. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. God bless your day. Mm-hmm.